All right, if you got a Bible, go to 2 Kings chapter 20. 2 Kings chapter 20. I want to preach a message to you called, When Time Moves Backwards. I think this is an appropriate word on a day where the, the clocks actually moved backwards. And this passage has been sitting in my heart for the last three or four months. I came across it during the summertime. I was reading my Bible and I just thought, that is such a powerful story in the Bible. And it's such a hidden um, story. It's a story that you don't hear a whole lot about. I don't remember hearing a sermon about this passage of scripture growing up. And it could be that my dad preached it and I was in children's church or I was doodling on the church bulletin. I maybe was checked out, but I don't remember hearing a, story, a sermon on this story. It's such an interesting story where God moves time backwards. And this happens occasionally in the Bible where God does things with nature and with the earth that just confounded people. They were like, what? There was a moment where Joshua prayed and asked God to make the sun stand still, uh, where God literally froze time and allowed Joshua to win a battle um, and moved in nature. There's been times where Jesus obviously spoke to the storm and changed the course of nature. But in this story, it's an interesting story because a man is battling a sickness and we're gonna see as God really does something supernatural here. And I feel like God wants to do something supernatural in your life. As I've been praying over this passage, I feel like God wants to speak to some people who are in a situation where you can't change the outcome and you are looking at an outcome that looks hopeless, unchangeable, impossible. Maybe you're, you're looking at something and you're going, there's no way, there's no way God could make this happen. There's no way that God could fix this. There's no way God could answer this prayer. It just doesn't happen for people like me. It doesn't happen for people in my age bracket. It doesn't happen for people with my, you know, whatever it is, the, the, the way that life has turned out for you. And in verse one of 2 Kings 20, it says, in those days, King Hezekiah became ill. Hezekiah was a good king. He was the son of a bad king. And um, his father had done a lot of wicked things. His father had lifted up all kinds of idols and, and lustful things in the land. Not just his father, but his grandfather. He had come from kind of a, a lineage of people that had done some bad things. Although he also came through the lineage of David as well. So somewhere back in the ancestry, there was a man who sought after God's own heart. And Hezekiah was someone who decided to change the way that he was raised. Even though he was raised to do wicked things, he chose to live a righteous life, which tells me we don't have to come from a good family to, to go on to do good things. You can grow up even in a bad home and go on to do some great things for God. And vice versa. You could grow up in a really good home and go on to do some bad things. The bottom line is don't let your how you were raised become an excuse for how you grow up and live and the choices you make later on in life. Hezekiah chose to do the opposite of his dad and he sought after God. He lived for God. He tithed, he worshiped, he prayed. He was a righteous king. He was a man who went to the temple often, wanted to know the word of God. He tore down idols. You can do all the right things and still end up in a bad place. Have you ever asked the question, why do bad things happen to good people? This is kind of one of those moments. Hezekiah, he wasn't perfect, but he was a good guy. Why didn't this happen to his dad? Why didn't, why didn't this illness and sickness 
happened to someone who had already been doing a lot of bad stuff. He had been doing good things and yet he got very ill. And the illness became so bad in verse one, it says he was now at the point of death. This, it was an illness called boils. The boils started in his feet and it got to the point where his ankles got very thick and heavy and he couldn't walk. Then he was bedridden. The boils spread to his hips, his legs, and up through his stomach to the point where he was laying there and he was dying. And he had a good friendship with a prophet named Isaiah. Isaiah was the prophet that would encourage Hezekiah. Isaiah was the prophet that would oftentimes show up when Hezekiah was in trouble, when Hezekiah was facing impossible things, and Isaiah would say, those who wait upon the Lord, they shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like an eagle. They shall run and not grow weary. They shall walk and not be faint. I say, wait on the Lord, Hezekiah. Isaiah was always the prophet that was speaking life. He was saying, who? is the Lord God Almighty who calls the stars out by name. Isaiah was someone who heard from God and he was on point. 700 years before Jesus was born, Isaiah prophesied a Messiah would be born in Bethlehem. Everything Isaiah said came to pass. He was one of those prophets that wasn't like, you know, half, half the time right and half the time wrong. He was always right. And so Hezekiah, he's calling on his buddies like, Isaiah, I need you, man. I need one of your scriptures like, no weapon formed against me shall prosper. Any tongue that rises against me stands condemned. This illness will leave. So he calls Isaiah. And Isaiah shows up to his house in verse one. And he looks at him as he's sick. And Hezekiah is waiting for a good word of encouragement. He's like, I'm ready for it. Hit me with a good sermon, Pastor Paul. And Isaiah goes, you're gonna die. That's literally what he says. You're like, what? That's what he says. He says, put your house in order. You're gonna die. This sickness is not gonna end in recovery. There is no 10-step recovery plan to this illness. There's no getting out of this, Hezekiah. I hate to break it to you, but this illness is gonna kill you. This situation is gonna end your rule. It's gonna end your reign. It's the ending of an era. You did a good job, you served a good season, you did your best, but this is how it's gonna end for you. And Isaiah drops this bomb and literally leaves, just walks out. Doesn't even stick around to talk about it. Hezekiah's like, can, can we talk about this? Isaiah's like, I don't wanna talk about it. I'm really sad. And when Isaiah leaves the temple or the palace of the king, the king does something very interesting, something that I want you to do today. When Hezekiah hears the news, I think instead of trying to talk to Isaiah, because it's one thing to talk to the employee of a company, it's another thing to talk to the boss. And even prophets have a boss. So when he hears the prophet say this, instead of talking to the envoy, the, the messenger sent from the great king in heaven, he decides to go straight to the source. It says he turns his face towards the wall. So here Hezekiah gets, and he looks at the wall, and there's a wall in Jerusalem called the Wailing Wall. It's a prayer wall. I've been there before. I remember going with my mom and dad when I was a little boy. I remember going there recently. And the Wailing Wall is a wall where Israelites go to seek the face of God. There's something about the wall when they get close to the wall. When I was a kid, I went to the Wailing Wall and I saw these grandmothers. 
I saw these little boys with this little cap on top of their head. And I said, mom, my mom made me wear one of these caps on top of my head. That's what you have to wear when you go to the wailing wall. I said, what do these mean? And she said, that's a sign. It's a, it's a sign. It's something that it's a symbol of who they are, who they belong to, that these Israelites belong to a God who listens to their prayers. The same God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. There's a covenant with these Israelites. This wall is a, it's a covenant wall. You need a prayer wall in your house. You need a dream wall. You need a wall where you put something up and you say, here's what I'm standing on. Here's what I'm praying for. Here's what I'm believing God for. But Hezekiah, he goes to this wall. And I remember being there at the Wailing Wall in Jerusalem, growing up as a kid, going there with my, with my family and with our church. And I saw grandmas sticking little prayer cloths. I saw little boys writing notes to God and sticking it in the wall. Little girls writing notes to God. I think there's a lost art of prayer journaling that God wants the church to reclaim. And it's almost like in America, we just got so busy and we just turned our Christianity into another busy checklist. But in Israel, in Israel, it's serious business when they pray. It's very serious. It's very tender. It's very vulnerable. It's very heartfelt. And there is a journaling. And I was watching these kids and these grandparents put their prayers into that wall. And I could just imagine Hezekiah, he turns to this wall. Now, Hezekiah was a king. Hezekiah was not a pastor. He was not a missionary. He was not a prophet. He was not a worship leader. He was a king. He was a businessman. He made a lot of money and he made a lot of tough decisions for Israel. As the king of Israel, he had to decide certain matters. He had to judge certain things. He had to uh, fight. He was a warrior. Hezekiah was known as someone who oftentimes went into battle and fought right alongside of other soldiers. He was one of those kings that he liked to be in the battle. He didn't want to be sitting on a throne. He wanted to be out on the battlefield. He wanted to be fully alive. But here he's dying and his best friend. It's one thing when the enemy tells you you're going to die. It's another thing when the prophet tells you you're going to die. It's one thing when the devil says you're going to die. It's another thing when God says you're going to die, right? This is the Lord speaking through Isaiah. Hezekiah knows this is it. And he turns his face to the wall and he begins to pray. And he begins to weep. Now, this is not the only place in scripture where this story appears. This story also appears in Isaiah 38. So we're in 2 Kings 20, but there's another book in the Bible called Isaiah. Isaiah chronicles this story in Isaiah 38. And there's this moment where Hezekiah is praying and we get to see that prayer a little bit more in Isaiah 38. In fact, in verse 17 of Isaiah 38, he says, surely... This suffering is for my benefit. Surely this sickness is actually for my good. It's good that I have suffered anguish. In your love, you will find me in the pit of my destruction. In your love, you will rescue me from the pit of my despair. For the grave cannot praise you. Death cannot sing your praise. Hezekiah was reaching deep within himself. Here's what sickness does to people. Sickness either causes people to close their eyes in a deathbed and lose hope, or it wakes them the heck up. And they start thinking, oh God, 
I don't want to die. I still got years left. I still got years left. I want to see my kids get married. Please, God. Please, God. Here, Hezekiah is weeping, and he starts thinking, I can't die like this. I'm still in my prime. I'm in my 40s. Please don't take me like this. Please give me another chance. As he's crying, he says, God, I still got a worship song inside me. Look what he says in verse 18 of Isaiah 38. He says, the, the, the grave cannot praise you. I still want to praise you. I still want to worship you. I still want to go to church. I still want to lift my hands. Church, can I encourage you today? Don't let sickness steal your praise. Don't let sickness rob you of a good thanksgiving, rob you of a good prayer of worship. Worship grabs God's heart. Worship grabs God's attention. Vulnerable worship. I'm not talking about some just half-hearted prayer like, God is more than able. When are we going to get out of here? When did the Dallas Cowboys play their football game? Where are we going to go eat after this? No, I'm talking about worship where you forget about how long the service is. I'm talking about worship where you forget about where you're going to go eat or what football game is on. I'm talking about worship where you go, God, I need you. Lord, I'm trusting in you. God, I'm leaning only on you. God, it's you I seek. It's you I need. Only for the blood of Jesus are my sins washed away. God, I'm crying out to you. This was a real worship. You can worship and you can really worship. You can pray and you can really pray. There's moments where you pray for your meal. You go, Lord, bless these chicken nuggets. In Jesus' name, amen. You know, rub-a-dub-dub, bless God for the grub, or whatever it is, you know. You know, you pray, you pray, and then when you are in a crisis, when the judge is saying, you're going to jail tomorrow if this thing doesn't turn around, or your son's going to jail, or this marriage is over, when you're in a crisis, when you are being threatened, and it is a life or death situation, it is a make it or break it thing. If this thing goes south, this is the end of your life. This is the end of your ministry. If, if God does not intervene, if God doesn't turn this thing around, it's over. And then you really find out what prayer is like. That's when you tap into a deep well. Hezekiah is here. And he begins to pray and he begins to weep. It says he wept bitterly. He says, God, remember, remember how I've served you. Remember how I've tithed. God, remember how I've showed up to church. Remember how I've worshiped. Remember how I've given you my devotion. God, I've gone down to the altar calls. Lord, I'm not perfect, but you know I've tried my best to follow after you. God, remember me. That's what he does. He prays and he weeps. By the way, you can pray with faith and you can weep with bitterness too. He did this. He was praying with faith. He was praying with hope, but he was also accepting. I think life comes down to this balance of accepting things and then challenging things. I think that, that life comes down to, we talked about last week when we watched that film, The Center. How many of y'all enjoyed The Center? It was so good. So good. But in that film, they talk about, it's a psychology thing, right? To radically accept. Sometimes you have to have a funeral for your expectations of how you thought life was going to go. You were expecting someone to be healed of the sickness and they didn't. And, and they went to heaven. 
And you can't change that. It's out of your control. So you're not only having a funeral for that person's life, you're also having a funeral for the life you thought you were going to have with them. And so you have this funeral for your expectations and you radically accept this is how it's going to be. I have to learn to live without that person. That's acceptance. But I think sometimes we have accepted things with the spirit of apathy that God actually wants us to challenge. There are things we need to accept. There are things, and I've been there before where I've had to accept things and I even no matter how much I prayed or worshiped or cried or asked God to change it, it just, it is the way it is. And that's, you, you learn to trust God through that acceptance. But then there are times where there is a diagnosis, there is a declaration, there is a prophetic word, and you're wondering, is this it? Can I challenge this? Like in football, coaches are given the opportunity to challenge a call from the ref, right? It's like a flag. You throw it out like, I'd like to challenge whether OU lost to OSU yesterday. I'm just kidding. Well done, OSU. We cheer you on. But have you ever, have you ever watched sports where the coach challenges the call? Y'all know what I'm talking about? Right? Okay. This, this happens with our kids. I have five kids. I don't know if I've told you this. We have five kids, ages nine, eight, five, four, two. Our two-year-old, you just saw her. She's the youngest. But they like to challenge the call sometimes. And recently I was like, Liam, Benny, you're both getting spankings for this. And Liam starts crying. He turns his face to the wall. Oh God, oh God, oh God, please, no, no. Is there any way, is there any way? And his tears got my attention. He says, is this the final outcome? <laughs> How many of y'all have ever challenged your parents or you've seen your kids challenge you? Is this the final decision? And I'm like, what, what other suggestions do you have? He's like, what about timeout? Can we do a timeout instead of a spanking timeout? What about, what about if I just did my brother's chores? I don't have to sit out. I don't need a spanking. I'll just do his chores. Is there any other way? And I'm like, okay, all right, we'll figure out another plan here, you know. And then there's times where they cry and it's still going to be the same thing. You know what I'm saying? I'm not saying our tears gets us out of everything. I think it's important for us to pause and not just rush through this passage and go, oh, so I can cry my way out of stuff. No, you can't. <clears throat> you can't. But sometimes, sometimes tears mixed with prayers, mixed with a sincere heart to say, God, I'm just asking I'm just asking if you could reconsider what you said is going to happen to me. Which brings up this theological question. Does God ever change his mind? Does God ever change his mind about a person? Does God ever change his mind about a nation or a situation? And we all go, well, no, because that scripture, the Lord, he changes not. He never changes. But that one time, whenever he told Nineveh, in 40 days, you'll be destroyed. And Jonah was like excited about it. He's like, you're going to be destroyed. And then Jonah's watching and he's waiting. He's like, when do I get to see the that, that Nineveh city destroyed? And it never gets destroyed. So did God change his mind? He did. Why? Because they repented. Scripturally, there are moments where God proclaims something is going to happen. But when the people of God pray and repent and fast 
and seek God, God has changed the outcome for situations. Don't believe me? You could keep reading through your Bible. You got a problem with it? Don't email me. Email the Bible. Don't direct message me. Direct message God. But there are moments where God intended for something to happen and it changed. And there was something about Hezekiah that was thinking about this. He was like, I know you don't change your mind unless, unless maybe, unless maybe there's a chance that you're not finished with me yet. Can I convince you to believe that I still have another song inside me? I still have another sermon inside me. I still have another battle inside me. I still got some more good things I want to do for the nation. Hezekiah is weeping and he's crying out to God and he's praying. And watch this. Isaiah has left, right? He's walking out. He's walking out of the temple. How do I get out of here? There we go. He's walking. Isaiah's like, I'm not going to talk to Hezekiah about this. It's not my fault. I'm just the delivery boy. I just had to deliver the word. And as Isaiah is walking out the middle court, where's that scripture? Throw that scripture up. uh, 2 Kings 20, verse 4. 2 Kings 20, verse 4. And I want you to look at this. Before Isaiah had left the middle court, his body freezes. He's arrested. It's good to see you guys. I don't get to come back here that much. I love this crew right here. Come on, give it up for section B on the right side. Yeah, my man in the back. Isaiah freezes. I think he's looking at people in the temple, but he's hearing something from God. God has arrested Isaiah's attention. He says, go back. Go back. Isaiah, something just happened. I don't know how to explain it. I know I told you he was going to die. I know I told you his time was up, but I need you to go back as soon as possible. Because when you left, I didn't expect it, but Hezekiah started weeping. And as he was weeping and you were walking, by the time you got to that place, his tears were touching heaven. And his prayers were connecting with my presence. I feel like God is calling someone right now to pray for a different outcome. He says, Isaiah, go back, go back. Go back and tell Hezekiah, this is what the Lord, the God of your father, David. Look at that. He skips over a few generations. David wasn't his actual father. David was somewhere far back in the line. But Hezekiah had tapped into the spirit of David. What was the spirit of David? It was a man after God's own heart. David was not a perfect king. The man committed adultery and murder. But there was something about David that connected with God's heart. And you can't deny that. There was something about David that said, I know I got blood on my hands. I know I'm not the perfect man. 
but God, I am a lover of your presence. And God, I can't wait to be in your house. Better is one day in your courts than a thousand elsewhere. I'd rather be a doorkeeper in the house of my God than dwell in the tents of the wicked. David had a heart of worship. He just wanted to be with God. And Hezekiah had tapped into that heart of worship when he started praying, when he started crying, when he turned his face to the wall. And so God says, Isaiah, go back. Go back to Hezekiah and tell him, I have heard your prayer. Look at that in verse four. He says, I've heard your prayer. Verse five, and I've seen your tears. God sees your tears, mom. God sees your tears, grand, grand. God's heard your prayer, John. God's heard your prayer, Paul. God's heard your prayer, Daniel. God's heard your prayer, Luke. God has seen your tears, Anna. God has seen what you've walked through. And he says, I'm with you. You're not alone in this. Things were gonna go one way, but when I got your attention, I'm now going to reverse the prophetic word that was spoken over you. He says, go back and tell him things have changed. Everybody say, things have changed. Plans have changed. He says, I'm going to heal you. I'm going to heal you. I'm going to raise you up on the third day. Come on, this is a shadow story right here. Old Testament stories are shadows of what's coming in the New Testament. It's just telling you what's coming because there's another man who's going to raise up on the third day. He says, on the third day, I'm going to raise you up from this sick bed. On the third day, somebody say the third day. He says, I've heard your prayer. I've seen your tears. And on the third day, I will heal you and you will get up from this sick bed and you will walk into the temple and you will worship the Lord. And I'm going to add 15 years to your life. God's about to add some years back to someone's life who has lost some years to some trouble and some toil. Somebody say, I'm getting it back. It's all coming back to me now. It's all coming back to me now. He says, I'm going to give you your years back. I'm going to add 15 years. And he says, I will deliver you. I will deliver you, not because you've been a good guy, but because I'm a good God. I'm going to deliver you. I'm going to deliver victory. I'm going to deliver your family. I'm going to deliver this city. I'm going to protect you. And the king of Assyria will not be able to touch you. That's right, Hezekiah. No weapon formed against you. It was formed, but it won't prosper. It was prepared, but it won't have its strong effect. It was sent to take you out. What was sent to break you, God is about to break through. What was sent to knock you out. Come on, who am I preaching to today? He says, I will defend you for my name's sake, for the sake of my name and for the sake of my servant, David. In other words, he remembered the covenant. When you're in a crisis, you need to remember your covenant. When you're in a crisis, you need to remember your covenant. The same covenant God made with David, the same covenant God made with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, he has made with you. He is a good God. He is a promise keeper. He is a light in the darkness. He is a healer. He's a provider. He's Jehovah Jireh. He's the multiplier. But watch what Isaiah, <coughs> the prophet says. He says, prepare a poultice. What in the world is a poultice? We don't talk like that. That'd be kind of weird if I was like, give me a poultice from the cafe. You're like, I think that's a coffee. I'm not sure. <laughs> Go get me a poultice down there at the store. But uh, a poultice, a poultice was an ointment. 
He says, I want you to make an ointment, which also is powerful. God's going to heal you, but it won't just be through prayer. God's going to restore you, but it won't just be because you cried and you prayed. The poultice represented a practical step and a process. The poultice was this practical process of change. God's going to set you free from that sin, that addiction you've been stuck in that was sent to take you out. But God says, I, I've got a recovery program for you. I've got, a, I've got a recovery step for you. And it's going to require a poultice. You want me to change things in your finances, but you haven't made a poultice. You haven't given me a tithe or an offering. You want me to change things in your marriage, but you haven't signed up for counseling. You want me to heal some things in your life, but you won't go through the poultice. There's a process. There's some practical things that are going to lead. You mix the practical and the spiritual, and you start to see a breakthrough. You mix the poultice and the prayers and the tears, and the healing begins to have its effect. And Hezekiah asks Isaiah, as they're putting the poultice of ointment on his boils, they're wrapping this ointment around all of his boils. Hezekiah looks at Isaiah and they're best friends. They've had a partnership all through Israel's time. And he says, what will be the sign that the Lord will heal me? How will I know that this sickness won't kill me? What will be the sign that, that on the third day I'm gonna get up and I'm going to worship God again? And Isaiah says, this is the Lord's sign to you that the Lord will do what he promised he would do. God's going to fulfill his promise. Mary, nothing is impossible for God. Joshua, the walls are gonna come down. Moses, the Red Sea still parts. The sun can still stand still. Lazarus, come out of that grave. He says, how will I know? Isaiah says, you want a sign? I'll give you a sign. Tell me what you want. Do you want me to ask the shadow to go forward 10 steps or shall the shadow go backwards 10 steps? Now they used a sundial system. I think we have a picture of what a sundial would look like back then. But as you look at this sundial, this is how they would measure time during the day. When the shadow hit certain parts in a person's palace or house, or they would know, oh, it's 3 p.m. The shadow is setting, and the more the shadow goes forward, the more the day is running out of time. So get this picture with me. Just imagine this. Isaiah the prophet is telling Hezekiah at the beginning of this passage, you're running out of time. The hourglass is running out of sand. The shadow is setting on your life. This is your final chapter, bro. Get your house in order. It's all over. So the shadow is setting. After Hezekiah prays, seeks God, God says, all right, I'm going to give you 15 more years of life. He says, what do you want me to tell the shadow to do? Do you want me to tell the shadow to go forward 10 steps? Do we want to spring forward or do we want to fall back? That's really the question here. And 10 steps would be about an hour, by the way, if you were to look this up, it's almost an hour. And Hezekiah says this, he says, it's a simple matter in verse 10 for the shadow to go forward. That's what shadows do. Shadows set on people's lives. 
by the way, we're all going to die at some point. You're like, thanks, Paul. But Hezekiah knows I'm going to die someday. I'm not going to live to be 3,000 years old. But I'm not going to die now. That's the point. I know I'm going to die someday, but I don't have to die today. I know there is an end to my season as king, but it's not over yet. Somebody say, it's not over yet. I'm going to finish in victory. I think God wants you to finish 2023 in victory. I think God wants you to finish 2023 in prosperity. I think God wants to redeem what the devil sent to destroy you this year. I think God wants to turn some things around. So he says, it's simple for the shadow to go forward, Isaiah. Ask God if the shadow will reverse. Ask God if he'll turn back the clock. Ask him if he'll reverse what's been happening for the worst. I just see someone's cancer is going back. It's in remission. It's in remission. Someone's sickness is in remission. Someone's shadow is in remission. Someone who has been looking at something and you're going, is there any way this can change? Is there any way this can change? God is in the business of doing supernatural changes. God is in the business of changing people's outcomes. Faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not yet seen. Faith is believing that what is current is not permanent, even though it looks bad right now. Isn't it interesting that faith and fear both ask the same question, to believe in something that hasn't happened yet. Fear wants you to believe you're going to die. Faith wants you to believe you're going to live. Fear wants you to believe God can't come through. Faith wants you to believe God will come through. Fear wants you to believe this is the end of the road for your finances. Faith wants you to believe my God owns the cattle on a thousand hills and all the oil underneath it. And my God shall provide all my needs according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. Let me tell you a couple times where the shadow was setting in my life. I was going to Oral Roberts University in 2007, and our university was going through a very tumultuous moment. And I remember when my dad called and he said, Paul, I'm going to be stepping in as an interim president at ORU. I said, is everything all right? He said, well, we're in a lot of debt. He said, I'm not going to sugarcoat it. They're talking about maybe having to shut the doors on Oral Roberts University. $57 million in debt, $52 million in debt. And I remember during that season, a lot of my friends started de-enrolling from the school. They started leaving left and right. I'm going to transfer to this university. They're going to give me half the credits that I got at ORU. They won't honor all of them. Certain classes wouldn't transfer. And I remember asking my dad, should I stay or should I transfer out? Should I go to Evangel or should I go to some other university around here? And he said, let's pray for a miracle. He said, Paul, you know those words that Oral used to pray, expect a miracle. When I was little, I read a book by Oral Roberts. It was his autobiography. And on that book, it said, expect a miracle. He wrote those words right after his life was threatened. It's crazy how a life-threatening moment 
can actually wake you up to start living again. Someone came to kill Oral Roberts at a meeting. They had a gun. They shot the bullet. The bullet went right past Oral. It should have killed him, but it didn't kill him. After that, he wrote a little word, expect a miracle. Something good is going to happen to you today. It was the shot around the world. People started talking about Oral Roberts. He said, Paul, let's expect a miracle. Well, sure enough, that Christmas break, there was a family that reached out to my dad. They own a little store called Hobby Lobby. And they said, we want to help out ORU. And ORU went from being $52 million in debt to being a debt-free, amazing, prosperous, powerful university. Still to this day, raising up students, sending them out around the world. And I didn't know how I was going to pay for my tuition. I had lost my scholarship. And I remember just trying to pray. And God supernaturally provided through a variety of means and my parents and, and the help of others for me to be able to graduate debt-free. It was a miracle. There's been moments where I thought things would never turn around in certain situations and God turned things around. Even in our church, I've seen God reverse the shadow on situations where the shadow was starting to set. And it was almost like the enemy was laughing, like this is it, there's no getting out. And by the grace and the mercy of God, God reversed what was sent to end. I just, I, I feel like I'm praying and speaking over a pastor right now who feels like quitting. And I don't know who's, who's out there, who's watching this or who's here today that's a guest, but some of you have been in a place where you feel like quitting and just settling and going, maybe I should just accept it. Maybe this is it. Or you can do what Hezekiah did or what Jabez did. In that place of pain, you can turn to the wall. This is what Jabez did. He said, oh God, I know my, my, my name means pain. I know my mom named me pain. By the way, never name your future based on a present circumstance. Never let a present problem become a permanent vision for your future. Jabez's mom named him pain because in the moment he was bringing pain. Just because there's pain in one season doesn't mean it's going to be the rest of your life. He had to live with the diagnosis that she wrote over his future. Until he challenged, until he pulled his flag out and said, hold on, I'd like to challenge the call. Hold on, I'd like to challenge the call you just made about my future. I'd like to believe that God is going to bless me, that he's going to enlarge my territory, that pain will no longer be in my name, that pain will no longer be in my family. I want the band to come out. We're going to worship here in a minute. This is what Hezekiah was doing. He was saying, I still got a reason to praise. I still got a reason to worship. I still got a reason to live. God is not not finished with me yet. Come on, if God is not finished with you yet, I want you to stand to your feet all over this place. God is saying, challenge that. Somebody say, challenge that. Challenge that. Challenge that. And I love that when Hezekiah asked if he could reverse it, Isaiah said, yes, God can do that. And sure enough, God began to challenge I don't know if the camera, where's the camera at? Can the camera just look at the shadow for a second? There it is. You see that shadow? Watch that shadow. That's what happened. The shadow was going down. But once Hezekiah prayed and began to worship, what if there was a worship that could challenge the outcome of a situation? What if there was a praise song that could add 15 years to your life? 
Would you praise God like never before? What if we stopped worshiping and praising like God's up to nothing and started worshiping and praising like God wants to reverse some things that the enemy sent to take us out? I just want to end today with some worship and praise. I want to invite people here today that you are believing for a better outcome. You are believing for a turnaround in a situation. You're like Hezekiah. You're going, I know I'm not perfect, but God, I have done some good things. And God, I am reminding you of the covenant you made with Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, the covenant you made with David. If you need to get down to the altar today, I want you to just bring it down to the altar. Bring the tears, bring the worries, bring the cares, bring the burdens, bring the financial need. Whatever it is you're asking God to intervene. Maybe you need financial breakthrough. Maybe you need a miracle in your finances, in your health. Let's just begin to worship. Lamar, just lead us in that song. all over this place. Let's just begin to call on the Lord. Call on his mercy. Call on his grace. Call on his power. Call on God to move in your family. Call on God to move in your health. Call on God to move in your finances. Call on God to move in that situation. with God today. Come and find a place at this altar. If you need to surrender your life to Jesus, come and find a place at this altar. He is here. His presence is stronger than the shadow. His power is stronger than the shadow. Oh God. Oh God, my God, I need you. Oh God, my God, I need you now. How I need you now. Oh Rock of Ages. I'm calling on your faithfulness. If you need a miracle today, come and find a place at this altar. Lord, we stand and we pray for a turnaround. We pray for a breakthrough in homes. We pray for a breakthrough, God, in people's hearts and their minds, God. I'm standing on your faithfulness. He's faithful. He's faithful. He's still faithful. So faithful. You're so faithful. You hurt your children. You hear your children now. You are the same God. You are the same God. You answered prayers back then, and you will answer now. You are the same God. He's still the same God. You are the same. He's still the healer. He's still the redeemer. He's still the savior. He's still good. He's provider, protector. You are the same God. You are the same God. You move in power then. God move in power now. You are the same God. You are the same God. You are a healer then. You are a healer 
ran into someone not too long ago that I remember 15, 20 years ago from back when they were in our youth group. They used to be very, very addicted to drugs and all kinds of stuff. Anyways, when I ran into them recently, just bright, shiny, just full of life and hope, walking with their family, free. And all, like I did, couldn't even recognize them. I was like, what? He's like, Pastor Paul, man, I've been watching you on TV. God is so good. I said, what happened? He said, God changes people. God changes people. God changes people. God changes people. Hey, Hezekiah, God changes people. God changes outcomes. God changes outcomes. Sometimes when you get close to the point of death like Hezekiah, you start thinking about life. Sometimes when you get close to the point of death, you start thinking about really living and all of a sudden a life change happens in you and God spares you and says, because you repented, what was going to kill you is now gonna be a testimony you use to help other people get out of addictions and start a rehab and start a recovery program for other people. I just feel like speaking over some people right now, Whatever it looks like is permanent. God's, God's in the business of changing situations, but really changing people, changing people, changing hearts and minds, the coldest of hearts, the most darkest of minds. God is able to heal and deliver and set free and change. 
situations that seem dire and, 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 and impossible to turn around, God says, I can change that. I can turn back the time. The same God that turned back the time for Hezekiah, the same God that made the sun stand still for Joshua, the same God that gave David the courage to face Goliath, the same God that placed Esther as the queen in a Persian empire, the same God that gave Peter the, the power to preach on Pentecost after he had walked through his biggest shameful moment in his life, the same God can move through you. He can move in you. He can change things in your life too. So Lord, I just pray in Jesus' name that we would stir up our hearts of faith, God, expectancy, that we would begin to believe that you can change the outcome. God, that we would turn to that prayer wall in our house. And God, that we would begin circling some dreams in prayer, that we would begin stirring up our hearts this week, God, to stand and believe for some things to change for the better, some people to change for the better, starting with us. Just say, Jesus, I surrender to you. Lord, I need you. I'm calling on you. I need your mercy, your grace, your healing power. I believe you died on the cross. You rose from the grave. You are my Lord and Savior. And I receive your mercy. I receive your grace. I receive your salvation. By faith, my eyes are on you. I'm trusting in you. I believe you are not finished with me. And I will see the victory. My best days are still in front of me. You live inside me. I'm all yours, God. In Jesus' name.